It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down American loser the day I was born We're in? We're in. We're in. Hello. How are you, folks? How are you? Hey, hey. What's happening, What's everybody? going on, everybody in the, in the internet world? There you go. Oh, should I put up a little Kahuna Vision? What's good? Kahuna, <laughs> there, there he go. is. There he is. <laughs> Hello, our, folks. Our Welcome back to uh, American Loser. If you guys don't know the gist already, uh, my name's KP Burke. With me, as always, is my dilf of a dad, Lawrence Patrick. Hey, everybody. What's going on? And, of course, in Kahuna Vision, none other than the esteemed big Kahuna. <laughs> what's up, people? extraordinaire i like this little tv but i'm I'm gonna have fun behind this moving forward it's Always gonna a be click a away one. the kahuna vision i am here <laughs> to be god well I we gotta it. say uh we gotta explain real quick so uh we're gonna give it a couple minutes before we jump into the story here we are going live for the full episode today the audio version will be available as also now the video element because Ooh, kahuna is that talented folks there it is all right so we're gonna be back in action here Cahoons, I'm not going to be able to keep up with the comments, but if you get any of the shout outs from the regulars or any uh, uh, new folks coming through, Stu Greenberg, automatically uh, hopping in, being first. Papa Stu, the founding loser. All right. He is the man over there. He is the Ben Franklin of this whole John Hancock of the founding loser. And then we got our boy, Nick Franco. And of course, Nick's in too, man. I'm good. Good to have you guys here, man. Uh, Anybody else who joins us throughout, man, welcome to the party, pal. All right. Happy to be back. Uh, we We took off July and we said we'll be back in August. And then guess what happened, Dad? Wow. Here it so, is. We're all <laughs> <laughs> so, Well, it's still August. So. It's still August. We're just two weeks late. So I want to apologize. Uh, but I want to say thank you too to everybody over at the Founding Losers on Patreon who make their donations to allow us to be able to continue to do this stuff, man. It means a lot. Um, buying that Kahuna love. It's We're buying Ming's love. Ming's uh, love. And we're paying Kahuna for through, his talents. Through, through Kahuna. Ming is actually a, a talentless man. So uh, he just owns all the stuff that we're doing. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just. You I'm, have to. I get it. He's your boss. You have to. You have to sit there. I have to. I'm like over my fence. I have to. Please, don't don't diss the boss, please. <laughs> <laughs> no sweat, man. No sweat. Um, I'm happy to be back. LP, anything you want to say to the the listeners, no, the just, viewers? It's good to be back here, and this is like a whole new a whole new level now with the uh, Kahuna Vision and uh, going live and uh, audio video. Oof, man. Brave New World. It is good to be back, man. So uh, we wrote a great episode for you guys. We're going to get into that here in a second. But I just got to say thank you again. Of course, we already thank the founding losers. Um, you guys are the best. Uh, the people who love the show, give reviews of it. People who yell out American Loser when I'm being brought out on stage. <laughs> I do. I appreciate it. Believe American me, actually, Loser! It confuses the audience because they think that something bad's happening. Yeah, but, or, uh, or they should go with the shortened version and just yell, Loser! loser. <laughs> no, I, I do love, though, at the beginning of your special, someone yells, American Loser! Like, I right at the beginning. I think we know who it was. Yeah, that might have been the guy. <laughs> He was, uh, I'll tell you what, his problem was he was about five Smittixes deep at the time. (laughs) No. But uh, we got a couple things here real quick. Uh, Cousin Megan, regular guest in the show, was nice enough to get us this. Uh, This is now the official mascot of the show. This is Teddy Bear Roosevelt. Okay. And uh, Kahuna, I don't know if you're set up for it right now. Well, I I don't don't know if you're set up for it, but we have another stamp here we wanted to show you guys. 
uh, a recurring through line of the show. We oh, I don't have the stamp yet. No worries. I'll let you bring it up later on then. How about I'll, that? I'll, once I find it, I will you let take you know. Your time. You take your time. <laughs> All right. But Somewhere you guys know the gist. One of those files. Dad, what do we know about TR? TR, you just don't fuck with Teddy Roosevelt. No, he kind of overcomes everything here. So <laughs> uh, official icon of the show here. And then uh, we borrowed one of Ming's. Um, this is actually the Han Solo blaster because I broke my iPad case. So uh, I need to prop it up against something. So right. thank you, Ming, for putting this on loan here. Well, Before cool. you. Before, before you had it uh, aimed at at uh, at our boy. Yeah, we had I'm glad we around. fixed that. Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, that was yeah, a, a, a very near down the bad yeah, thing. Yeah. This looked like a <laughs> Taliban tape for a hot second. But we're back. If you guys don't know what the show is all about, what we do is we like to put the spotlight firmly on second place in almost all things, but specifically within American history. Thanks. I'm a huge, huge American history fan, uh, most mostly because of the gentleman here uh, to my right. Um, but uh, you're welcome. A lot of battlefield tours, a lot of fort tours, and uh, Mom and Kerry definitely put up with a lot of shit on family vacations. Yeah. But it developed into this uh, passion that I have here today. And by the way, it reaches people. So uh, again, if you're listening to the show, if you're telling people about it, anything like that. It means a lot to us. It's not a family vacation unless it includes a fort or a battlefield somewhere. <laughs> and while we still have some people paying attention here, too, another thing that we like to give you guys for free, there's an entire full-length comedy special. Some are saying it's one of the better specials to come out this year. There's a couple people that are saying it's better than two current properties on Netflix. So go ahead and check that out. It's called Escape from Jacksonville, directed by Christian Cordez, whoever that is. And uh, <laughs> That's right. it's me doing uh, my, first, uh, my first full hour of stand-up. And we're very proud of it. It was filmed at Kevin Smith's Smodcastle. Um, and it was also retweeted by Kevin Smith himself, which was a highlight of my life uh, to go from uh, having to hide the VHS tapes of clerks and mall rats from this guy because there's <laughs> boobs and curse words. But not them. just retweeted it. That dude watched it. Did like, he really? Yeah. Like that. Like, uh, like uh, I, I do happen to know the director of that special. And uh, <laughs> and he told me that, like, he, he brought it up in conversation in a way that I was like, oh, he had to have watched the whole damn thing. Wow. This so, is um, so that's kind of go. exciting then. All right. Well, I'm going to cry about that in a little bit. So <laughs> in the meantime, we have a hell of a story we want to tell you guys, too. So if you're jumping in and out here, if you join us halfway through the stream or anything like that, um, it's not going to totally make a whole lot of sense, but uh, if you do want to stick it out for the stream, you're more than welcome to. If not, I, like I said, this will be available on the regular audio version as well as we're putting everything up on YouTube now because there's visual aids, baby. We got visual aids. Kahuna, would I be? And he's going to blow his nose on camera the first Sorry. episode. Sorry. Hey, got a, got a runny <laughs> snot locker. You got to deal with it. And I already see uh, uh, <laughs> I already see from Richard Pelez, my cousin Richard, one of my favorite people on planet Earth. Let's see what supportive thing he has to say. Dad, can you read that on the right of the screen? What's it KP say? KP sucks. Oh, okay. <laughs> that right. sums it up. That's fair. That's fair. Actually, I think he's trying to say my full Instagram handle, KP Burke sucks on Instagram, where you can follow me. We'll have more stuff like this. I'm always posting jokes, upcoming shows. But uh, we're going to dive into the episode here, I think, folks. Yeah, I think we get it. We ought to kick it here. I think it's game day. All right. So we like to put the spotlight firmly on second place. We tell untold stories or lesser known tales from American history. That's what we like to do here on the show. Um, so. I'm going to start us off. It's a pretty damn good one here. Okay. It's a pretty damn good one. I've known about this guy my whole life. Um, now, my sister, who I used to force to play um, in the backyard with me and stuff like that, <laughs> I would always be Davy Crockett whenever we were playing Davy Crockett. And then um, Kerry would play sometimes Daniel Boone um, because we didn't understand time. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Timeline. When you're a kid, the timeline is a little warped. But in the uh, in whenever I would play with uh, Alamo playsets that I had as a kid, because I grew up with a lot of this guy's toys, um, uh, and then also a couple of uh, you know, I, I remember an Alamo playset I had of uh, the little tiny uh, action figures, if you will. Um, there was uh, three main figures that you had. So you had um, Travis Scott. Okay, who was one of the uh, the, the the regular uh, the Texas regulars, if you will, um, at the Alamo? He was kind of a prim and proper soldier. That's how he's always portrayed. You know, a cutlass drawn kind of a thing, uh, prepared to fight like a gentleman. He's actually in uniform. Correct, yeah. a, a legit uniform and a paycheck. <laughs> and right? a paycheck, right? Then you got Davy Crockett, um, coonskin cap, swinging a musket at anything that moves. Um, you know, a, a definite hero of mine growing up as a kid. And then there was this other guy that, for some reason, is. He's possibly the most interesting of the three of them, and he gets second billing at all times from Crockett, okay? And that's why we're going to cover this week's topic, Mr. Jim Bowie. So, Cahoons, I'm going to set you up for success here. Whenever you're ready, if you want to bring up that first visual aid, if you can, and we're experimenting here, folks, so bear with us. You can see that that handsome face right there, okay? Can't grow a full beard, but he's got a hell of a set of sideburns, doesn't he? <laughs> Maybe a little male pattern baldness coming in slowly but surely looks like here. Ken Krantz. <laughs> We didn't make it 10 minutes in without a Ken Krantz reference. My hilarious friend, uh, Ken Krantz, uh, go listen to the most recent episode of his show, I Love Rock and Roll. It covers Woodstock 99, and he was there. His guest, John Moses, was there, and their other guest, Rich Voss, was the official MC of the event that ended in chaos and riots. In about, <laughs> I'm going to say in 10 more years, we can cover that on this show, Dad. Okay. That's how we like to do it. We like to wait 30 years for the emotions of an event to right. slow down a little bit. But Even no uh, one died. Yeah, I was going to say a couple people have to die before we can go in the deep dive into it. That's also true. Right. The political effects. Of, right. By then, it'll also be President Fred Durst. The um, aftershock. <laughs> Don't put that in the universe. It's going to happen. Um, I'll tell you what. So we're going to dive, uh, dive into the show here. Um, Lawrence Patrick did some good research. He's got some papers to rustle yeah, for you, folks. Things. Absolutely. Yeah. We, <laughs> what's an episode of American Loser without paper rustling? Absolutely. Old like, school, folks. Sorry. One last time, too, if you guys want to help support the show for just $3 a month, we're going to give you guys a bonus episode that only you guys are going to get. It continues to fund us for here and all these other great things that Visual Aid the Kahuna brought up here. That is the man in question today, the man we're uh, talking about and covering, uh, James, a.k.a. Jim Bowie, who is a, a knife fighter, a hellraiser, a little bit of a con man, and uh, kind of an all-around hero, so... We're gonna do. Uh, we're gonna go Tarantino here, Cahoons. And just not to, to make things a little bit more confusing, it's his name is spelled like Bowie. Well, it's yeah, well, funny you should say that. You should jump into that. I'll tell you what. We'll start with that one here then. So, um, Jim Bowie is how it's pronounced, but it looks like Bowie. Uh, the most famous recent person to use that last name would be uh, uh, David Bowie, right? Mm. Uh, David Bowie was born uh, David Jones. So he was going by Davy Jones when he was starting out in music, and he was afraid he would be confused with, with another Davy Jones. Jones right. But you know, enough about the daydream believers. Um, he didn't want to be confused with Davy Jones. So what he did is he went by a guy that he was kind of fond of because this guy, Jim Bowie, had uh, TV shows made about him. He's always one of the starring roles. He's again, he's like the the two A to the, the, the one alpha that's Davy Crockett anytime you talk about the Alamo. But there was uh, The Adventures of Jim Bowie was, I believe, a Walt Disney show at the height of their Frontierland kind of fame and everything. So I'm sure you can find some crazy old stuff on that, Cahoons. But um, so David Bowie actually took the last name Bowie supposedly because he was a fan of the Jim Bowie show. And obviously, 
Um, we're going to cover it later on here too. Uh, if you want to picture what a, a the Jim Bowie is in the Bowie knife, which if you know what it looks like is a very intimidating thing. We'll get more into it here in a second. But uh, the more chaotic version of that is imagine what a David Bowie knife looks like. So it's a <laughs> it's killing you, but it's got some mascara and glitter all over it. Hey, hey, I'm stabbing you. <laughs> Making sure that you're dying. Also true. And before we jump into the story, though, uh, any other comments we got to acknowledge from the good folks? Uh, just more people making monkeys puns. Monkeys Nick, puns. Nick Franco. Did he shave with a certain knife? <laughs> didn't to, didn't want a monkey around with that name. Jesus, uh, Nick. <laughs> well, it started. <laughs> okay. Uh, there we go. And so it begins. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, on March 6th, 1836, the Generalissimo, also known as the Napoleon of the West, a dictator, a military dictator of sorts, Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana. And by the way, we left out about six other names this guy yeah, had. He's got a name that goes on and on and on and on. Oh, yeah. Good luck at the DMV, buddy. Um, Just as his political career went on and on and on and on. He is. On, uh, who's in power, who's not in power. We're favoring this side, we're favoring that side. So we've we've covered, uh, we've come, come across uh, Mr. Santa Ana. Uh, in previous episodes, for sure. Oh, he's he's a an absolute uh, force of nature. This guy, he's fascinating. Sometimes he's really admirable. Sometimes he's downright despicable. This one's going to be more of the despicable here. So we're hopping in though. Um, Santa Ana will send another wave, and this is again on March 6, eighteen thirty six. Yet another wave of Mexican troops in hopes that they will overwhelm the forces fighting from within an old Spanish mission known as the Alamo. On this, the 13th day of the fighting at the Alamo, the Mexican forces who had flown a red flag in order to make it very clear to their opponents that those defending the Alamo with inside of it see this red flag. What does the red flag mean, Dad? Yeah, that's the that's the sign that we're signaling that there's no quarter will be given. There's there's no uh, there's no surrender. You guys are going to be wiped out. Wave your white flag all you want. You're getting a bayonet in the gut or right. a shot in the head. You're going to be killed. And he, he has already uh, – Santa Ana has already done this to his own people. And now he's fighting against uh, some of these Americans that are happen to be in Mexican territory. So, uh, you know, he's got a history of uh, wiping out entire villages um, by the same by the same method, the, the red flag, if you will, that you're done for. But – he loves poetry, so <laughs> That's right. not all bad, right? <laughs> right, right. right. He <laughs> but, does have his softer side. <laughs> well, now his army that he keeps sending relentless wave after wave, they outnumber the defenders of the Alamo um, to pretty incredible odds here. Um, now, this next wave is going to be able to uh, overcome the walls of the Spanish mission turned fort, and uh, they will actually uh, kill every fighting man inside the walls of the Alamo. Yeah, and this is after the 13th day. This Correct. Is they, they were completely besieged for 13 days and now finally this final wave goes in on the 13th day to, to uh, capture the Alamo. That's right. So imagine two weeks of fighting for your life uh, on the regular and, and being, you know, hope that there's a million things going on. The Alamo is one of those things you could talk about for absolutely ever. Um, some really incredible art I saw when I was doing shows down in Austin too uh, portrays the different founding fathers of Texas, if you will, in their revolution, which we are going to cover here too. But the focus is on another guy, like we said, who keeps for some reason getting skimmed over here. But uh, Santa Ana and the legend of the Alamo is just beginning because some 200 Texians are dead, but they had left on the floor at least 600 Mexican soldiers dead. And they are all too well aware that this is the last stand. With the local Texian volunteers from Louisiana and, of course, Tennessee with Crockett, 
The wild rebels inside the fort held their own as long as they could. Amongst their ranks was, of course, American frontier royalty and former member of the House of Representatives. Yes, he was David a member. Crockett. Davy Crockett <laughs> was a member of the House of Representatives. He's not just a guy we made up in history. Yeah, he was a politico. So, I mean, maybe that's why he had he had fame and fortune, if you will, uh, before he arrived in, in Texas with the Alamo. But. Yeah, it's uh, Elizabeth Warren has barricaded herself inside of him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that most people don't believe that side of Davy Crockett is because he no offense he got disney-fied like every yeah, like most point. people right. really know i don't think most people really know the true davy crockett as much as they know davy davy <laughs> crockett like <laughs> yeah exactly like i don't think most people really know that story all that well You're i think i've right. said it before too because uh, the way that the davy crockett disney show ends it actually ends with um uh the mexican army has they're over the walls now Everybody's being killed. Main characters are being killed. Davy fires a cannon at the uh, oncoming Mexican onslaught and then is swinging his musket right. um, at everything that moves. And then they start playing the theme song and they play it out. And you just hear, you know, uh, born on a mountain. They start singing that one. And then they just show the flag of Texas. And I remember asking my dad, I was like, oh, cool. What's the next episode about? <laughs> um, hey, bud. So Disney didn't want you to know that pretty much Davey got old yellered. Um, <laughs> That's so, right. He's but, done. Um, of course, Crockett deservedly gets a large share of the attention in the telling of the Alamo story. Like you said, too, Cahoons, very good point. He does get disney here. And there's a little bit of Disney to the Jim Bowie character we're going to talk about here. But he's the most – he's the second most famous man killed at the Alamo. And uh, this is how great of a reputation Jim Bowie had while he was alive, folks. We're not going off the Disney stuff here. This is legit. When news reaches Jim Bowie's mother that her son had been killed at the Alamo, she responded with, I'll wager no wounds were found in his back. That's right, because she knew that her boy was going to face it straight on. He doesn't run from anything. He doesn't turn down a fight. He is a fearsome man. And she is very right. She knew her son wasn't going down easy. It's going to take a lot to put down the man called Colonel Bowie. All Headshots right. only. It's, uh, sometimes those don't even work on him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was kidding. <laughs> oh, God. Well, his death, like many others from the Alamo, is very hard to pin down with exact details. But uh, Bowie had been uh, confined to Bowie. Rather, let's get back to the correct thing. There's a star man. Moon Age Daydreamer. <laughs> yeah. Jim Bowie. Uh, was Boo. Bowie. Bowie. Bowie had been uh, confined to bed rest with a mysterious illness leading up to the siege. So he's already on his deathbed, if you will, potentially a deathbed during the Alamo here, but would regularly force himself out from his bed during the siege, get dressed and speak to his men. The mere showing of his face was a morale boost for the besieged members inside the Alamo because Jim Bowie is one of the most feared fighting men in North America and for good reason. Should yeah, I pull up that photo? Uh not just yet. Actually, were, I'll tell you what. Bring bring that one up. Uh, you can bring that up. We'll bring it back up here later. The deathbed photo. Yeah. Hello, this I'm Ken they, Krantz and welcome to I Love Rock and Roll. <laughs> <laughs> this is how they believe, uh, historians believe that Jim Bowie uh, met Went his out? death. Yeah. That it was uh, guns blazing. Um, in and he was, bed. He was killed in his sickbed in the hospital. That's correct. In the, within the Alamo. Inside the yeah, Alamo. Yeah. And it, I had found reports too or some research that um, stated that during the, that 13-day siege, he was actually carried out on a stretcher just to meet and greet with the with the rest of the, the troops, if you will. Hey, boys, how's the and, war going? Uh, 
Anyone have a kidney? Apparently, I need one. <laughs> yeah, John Wick ain't got nothing on this dude. <laughs> it's uh, he really is uh, larger. You can see why he gets um, the legend continues to exist here for him. It's pretty uh, pretty outstanding here. Now that being said, we have to start at the beginning now. So we did the Tarantino thing. We tell you that he dies. He gets killed in his bed. Yeah, guns blazing. Surprise. No wounds in his back. Just like making his mama proud. But historians believe that. Uh, Jim Bowie was born in 1796 in Kentucky. The actual date is subject to debate. Uh, his father, they know, had fought in the American Revolution and uh, married the nurse that tended to his wounds from battle. So that's romance right there, man. There you you go. Know, pretty little thing trying to help patch you up. And you say, like, can we you ever think about starting a life together? I mean, I'm a war hero. I'm a <laughs> war go. hero. So, um, What's that? Isn't there actually like a name for that? Like fall in love with your nurse? I don't know. I mean, I fall in love with my therapist on the regular. And let Florence me tell Nightingale you, effect. There we the go. Florence Nightingale effect. I thought it was the Blink-182 I think I learned effect. that. From, I swear I think I learned that from Back to the Future, so I might be very, very wrong. <laughs> That's interesting. No, that, that makes some sense then. Um, now, uh, the family would do relatively well for themselves too, by the way, uh, his father, uh, yeah. Jim's father. Yeah, Poppy, Papa Bowie. Uh, did all right for himself. He he made a couple of bucks. Well, uh, Jim was the ninth of 10 children. 10. 10. Cahoon only has six kids and he's up to his you know eyeballs in it. But We just got the TLC deal. <laughs> it's going to be a great show, kids. But, but uh, 10? Jesus. Well, the Bowie family will wind up in Louisiana. Okay. So he's, again, Jim is born in Kentucky. And by the way, the, the territories change names kind of a lot during this time too, so that the states don't exactly have the firm borders that we kind of know today. Yeah, and actually some of the states at that point in time, Louisiana wasn't even a, a state just yet. So it's a territory, as like you say, and it's moving around from changing from position to position. And you know, it wasn't until uh, Jefferson buys the Louisiana Purchase that uh, we actually start to own that territory. So. Well, my buddy, uh, another a great comic and a, a diehard fan of the show, uh, Robert Hall, he would tell you, he's from Louisiana, and he would tell you... Uh, there's a good section of Louisiana that still doesn't consider itself a state. So, <laughs> but uh, they're living down in Louisiana, and uh, Jim and his brother Resin, uh, or Reason, however you want to pronounce that, would learn the frontier life of fishing, hunting, butchering, farming, and of course, what Jim would later become famous for: fighting. Fighting. Jim shows skill with pistols and rifles early on, but takes to knife fighting with ease. And he is known as uh, being a boy with no fear whatsoever. Now, I did some crazy stuff as a kid. Um, nothing <laughs> too fights? nothing too wild. <laughs> nothing too wild. We, we definitely had fights in the woods and stuff like that. But um, uh, I never did do what Jim Bowie apparently did when a, a Native American friend of his brought the young Jim Bowie uh, into the swamp with him and taught him how to lasso alligators. There you go. Kahuna, at what point does your survival instinct kick in and say, this is some white people shit and walk away? <laughs> oh, immediately. <laughs> Im immediately. I mean, it, it probably would have happened way earlier than, than this perceived event. It would have been at like the first like, you want a what now? <laughs> That's right. Let's exactly. just, even talking about it, I'm out. <laughs> You're like, nah, I'm good, man. I enjoy living life. I, I, I don't need my grave to be like, went out fighting a fucking gator. <laughs> I think I'm good on that. They got to bury me in pieces because the gator kind of chopped it up a little bit. Where's bit. Christian's grave? Over there, over yeah, there, and over there. Right. Uh Survivors describe uh, Cortez as a, a, a handsome man, a gentleman, uh, loved by all and considered delicious by one. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
That was good. Well, they have um, – they're also learning the farming life here because their father set them up for success. The family had quite a bit of livestock. They also owned uh, some tracts of land and then also they were a slave-holding family. So again, uh, unfortunately – Boo. Uh, boo. <laughs> I don't know if you guys know this, but the firm stance we take here on this show is we, unlike a lot of you out there, Absolutely. are against slavery. That's right. I'm Kahuna and I approve this message. We're standing tall and firm on that. We're yeah. against slavery. We're not budging here, folks. People should know people. <laughs> but back then it was a, a, a common practice here. And also it comes into probably one of the funniest parts of the story for him. It, it's very uh, – it's a, it's a dark, sick joke. But my father will get into that here in a second. Um, these boys are growing up country, okay? And it sounds like Jim – is going to be a wild country boy. Maybe you're going to think he's got like a little bit of redneck thing going on to him, but he's actually a man who was known to possess a pretty strong intellect. And while he is learning how to fight and live off the land, uh, the thing that's going to help him the most in his life, probably the most important skill he possesses is Jim Bowie is actually able to speak English, Spanish, and French, and he can write in it. That's pretty big because guess what in Louisiana territory, guess what the three biggest populations are? Yeah, he's multilingual. Yep. You got to know how to be able to speak Spanish to deal with the Spanish. You got to know how to be able to uh, um, speak French to deal with uh, you know some of the, the French territories where they still speak it in Louisiana to this day. You have to be able to speak English because that's technically the language of the Americans here. And you got to know how to fight because sometimes the Native American tribes um, – sometimes they're not willing to have Bourbon a Street's a wild place, people. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, the only real blemish – on uh, uh, our boy's life here. This is kind of interesting too. Uh, Jim and his brother Resin will uh, – uh, Resin, Reason, however you want to say it. He's not – I'm just going to assume Resin because I'm going to assume after this all plays out, he lives a great life building costumes in Hollywood out of resin. <laughs> with resin masks and all that. Hey. Hence the name. Right. There I you like go. that. Resin figures. Give him a That's happily a, ever after in a future that a, – a shitty candy bar named Reason. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> But uh, these guys – now get this one. If you want to talk about people that are going to wind up working with one another here in the future here, a little bit of foreshadowing. Jim Bowie and his brother will attempt to join up with General at the time, not President yet, General. General. Andrew Jackson in order to help fight off the British at the pending Battle of New Orleans. But much like the news that ended the War of 1812, Jim Bowie gets there too late. If you guys don't know that story about how the Battle of New Orleans was fought after the treaty was signed and it was rather an unnecessary amount of bloodshed, um, check out the two-part banger that me and this guy did <laughs> yeah. on the War of 1812. We wrote a book, Larry Burke. Yes, right? we did. Yes, we did. So, um, but unfortunately, they don't get there in time. They're not able to take part in the War of 1812. So the only real blemish on Jim Bowie during this time, like I said, besides being a slaveholder, which was unfortunately legal and common during this time frame, Ooh. is uh, – <laughs> <laughs> he's got some very questionable land grabs that he's doing. Uh, he and his brother are running plantations and sugar mills and they aim to make their money via land speculation because the population of Louisiana is going through the roof right now. Therefore, land is becoming more valuable. So if you can own large tracts of land and then sell off for profit, you are a land speculator. You know, It's kind of like uh, uh, owning uh, a block in uh, New York City knowing that uh, those immigrant ships are coming in. You know? So is this being – is this like the early form of being like a, a literal landlord or uh, – It's close. It's very close because um, you have – again, you're, you're still doing – we're, we're far removed from the idea of it being the new world. Oh, yeah. There's still a lot of things that are unclaimed. So. Oh, okay. But – Yeah, land is 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 the commodity. I mean that, that's the name of the game. If you want to become wealthy, you're going to – you're going to buy up land. You're a land speculator um, and just taking it. You know, that was all over the colonies that all these, the immigrant wave is coming over and everybody's clamoring for their own 
piece of the pie, if you will, and that pie happens to be land. So you own land, you're you're in. If that's really, um, it is the great uh, the the great commodity, if you will. And uh, again, he's got some questionable land grabs over here, uh, but it's very interesting. It's a tough <laughs> world down there because there's so many different claims for different lands. Because imagine we kind of talked about this before on the show too, Cahoon. It's like, um, hey, so uh, I just bought that land over there. Uh, you know, I'm an American and uh, I just bought this land from this French guy who sold it to me. And then the French guy goes, well, I mean, I technically, you know, can't sell it to you really. But I mean, I took your money, but that's actually that Spanish guy's <laughs> land over there. Oh, right? my God. And then the Spanish guy's yeah. like, whoa, 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 you took money? You just sold a car you don't own? Hang on. Why, why is it? What's going on over here? And the Native American is sitting there like, I think, what the? F- what? <laughs> Excuse <Yeah>. me? <laughs> Possession? Yeah. <laughs> so um, it's pretty wild one. So, uh, there's various land claims that exist on many of the same tracts of land, whether it be French, Spanish, British, American, or like we said, the wild one here in the Native Americans. But in order to have the funds to buy up the large tracts of land, Jim Bowie and his brother work up a plan that is, for lack of a better term, uh, a scam. This is a little <laughs> bit of an Ocean's Eleven um, uh, scam of sorts here. And of course, uh, like all great American stories um, uh, of, of calamities and uh, hoaxes and everything, it involves uh, – crime, informing on other criminals, and of course, a pirate. <laughs> oh, a privateer, depending on your viewpoint. That's right. One man's terrorist <laughs> is another man's freedom fighter. We got a privateer and a private. It's <laughs> a pirate. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, God. It is an episode of American Loser. What a premiere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Dad, take it away. Explain this scam. Because I, I, I laughed just reading it that he was – because you can picture George Clooney almost pulling this thing off and then like Matt Damon's nodding to him in the corner and yeah. Andy Garcia's like, what's happening? Now, is this or like Soapy Smith thing, level? We're, we're, it's pretty good. This thing, we're giving the signal to, uh, to Flim Flam. Yeah. Well, um, James, Jim Bowie, and his brother, um, Reson Reason um, – you know, they've got some money because dad was pretty well, not well off, but he, at least he wasn't dirt poor. Um, and shortly before the senior uh, Bowie dies, which is somewhere in the neighborhood of 1820, um, they want to start this whole land speculation thing. But what do you need for land speculation is bucks. You got to have money in order to buy land. One of the scams is startup they, money. Yeah, startup money. You need seed money. Um, now they were able to make, uh, some land purchases and they, you know, they, they did all right for themselves, but they weren't making the, the killing, if you will. Um, so, um, they got this whole thing. Now you got to realize that this is in a time frame where slavery is still legal in certain States within, within, within the United States. However, um, there was a situation where, um, you could not import slaves. So whatever slaves were in this country at this particular point in time, that was it. It was a, you know, kind of a, a shutdown commodity. You couldn't import them legally, bring them in over from Africa or wherever. Um, um, That's a twofold thing, but just not to cut you off here, but, but there's, there's a twofold reason for that. Some people, because I've heard the arguments both ways. And just to, to, the middle ground is typically where the truth is on that thing. So there's two reasons. Number one, it was considered a form of progress because you can incrementally uh, – there's so many parts of America that are against slavery from its inception that you can incrementally get rid of it, but you can't get rid of it all at once. you got to be like, hey, we're doing better this hand. Okay, so we're, right. not, we're not bringing in more slaves here. Um, 
Now, the unfortunate side effect of that one is that that meant that if you were a slave in America, that meant that your family now is the next generation of slaves. So your kids right. are now being born as slaves. So there's no new slaves. So now there's this uh, – the other idea of we have to – the slaves that are already here have to make more slaves for us because we're not bringing more in. The future generations right. of, the, of, the of the present So slave. you're making it harder on the current generation of slaves right now that they're really – they're getting extra screwed because there's no new boats coming through because the idea being, well, you know, you served your time, maybe like an indentured servant. After seven years of labor, we would set you free. There is that thought. That doesn't really exactly happen. And also the other reason they wanted to stop bringing people in from Africa too was actually population control because there was a fear of a slave uprising that there would actually be more slaves than there would be uh, you know, the slave owners. Right. And what's going to happen? The, the, the slaves are going to have the numbers and all of a sudden it's in their favor. You can tip the scales very quickly. So it's a two-folded thing there. Some people try to argue that it's a positive. Other people would say that it's a negative. And the truth is that it's a negative and a positive at the same time, which cancels each other out into a neutral. Point being, people shouldn't own people. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, you're right. And then there was a fear of that. And then that was one of the reasons why legislation was passed, that um, you could no longer import in slaves. However, uh, your slave population was going to become domesticated, if you will, that they were – the locals that what we presently have, but there was still a huge uh, demand for additional slaves. So what's going to happen? You're going to be smuggling in uh, human cargo, and um, Jim Bowie and his and his brother um, make an agreement, come into a terms with um, a guy by the name of uh, Jean Lafitte, which is another Disney character or or movie character. Lafitte. Yeah, if you're getting your history lessons from, uh, you know, from Hollywood or from Disney, uh, you're missing a big part of it or you're just getting a total fictionalized situation. Mm -hmm. uh, Jean Lafitte in the movie The Buccaneer, uh, which was like a 1958 movie with Yul Brenner. Yul Brenner was playing the role of Jean Lafitte. Oh, I got to see this movie and, now. Uh, and he was uh, – he was uh, the, King the star of building, but the co-star of that was um, uh, uh, Charleston Heston, who was playing the role of Andy Jackson. Well, what was it called again? Uh, the Buccaneer. Ooh, um, this is great. So, you know, in that movie, if your sole uh, history lesson is from that movie, <laughs> you're, you're missing part of it, or you're certainly getting a uh, a glossed over uh, version of that. Um, Jean Lafitte was a pirate and he was smuggling in human cargo and he was setting up shop in Galveston, Texas. Now, Galveston is an island off the coast of Texas. So he's setting up his own little country, his own little uh, pirate haven, if you will, in, in Galveston. And um, um, Jim Bowie is going there three times on three different occasions to um, buy slaves from Jean Lafitte. And then bringing them back um, into the United States. And although um, the importation of slaves was against the law, there was laws set up that if you informed on a smuggler that the government would pay you like half the cost of whatever the slaves were sold for. Right? So this is weird. Bowie, Bowie uh, purchases these slaves from Lafitte, from his compound in Galveston. And on each case, he brings the smuggled slaves back. And the first thing he does is go to the custom house 
and informs on himself. Hey, I'd like to report a slave trader. Yeah. <laughs> What's and his I'm name? It. Jim Bowie. <laughs> yeah. And, and who I'm are you? Jim, Jim Bowie. Bowie. <laughs> so now these slaves are then offered up for auction. And Bowie is paid half of whatever the slaves were sold for. Bowie buys the slaves. So basically, he's getting the slaves at half price. And then he takes the slaves over to New Orleans and sells them at a much greater value because, or further up the Mississippi River, because the further up upstream up up the river, the more they're going to command. So it's a it's a this is gonna law be of supply and demand kind of a thing. So this is going to be very controversial. I'm not a fan. <laughs> not, a <laughs> fan. not a fan. <laughs> not a fan. <laughs> not a fan. Well, um, it was estimated that using this scheme, the brothers collected. $65,000 from smuggling slaves. Now, that's $65,000. doesn't sound like a whole lot, but we're talking, we're talking 1820 money. 1820 money, 65000 by that's today. That's fuck you money. Yeah, today it's $1.5 Which so is just now, amount, the, I believe that's to the cent of what Kahuna owes for film school. <laughs> So, that's right. Actually, well, minus ten thousand dollars with the Biden uh, <laughs> student loan debt free. Um, uh, but yeah, shout so, out to the Digital Film Academy. I don't owe a dime. Nice. This is uh, this is where they now have some uh, some money to buy further uh, <laughs> land and going get into further land speculation schemes. That uh, you know who actually owns this? Well, you know we can we can make up deeds. We can make up. Are these uh, really just schemes else. or are these just like really effective loopholes? Well, these are, uh, yes. Both. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, the whole slave uh, trade thing, that was uh, an effective loophole. And he wasn't the only guy that made use of that. But yeah, he's informing on himself. And with that, now the slaves are coming to him at half price. He's taking them further uh, to further additional markets and selling, selling them for a nice profit that to the tune of, as I say, $65,000. And now he's got some money to buy further land and further land speculation schemes uh, with he and his brother. Now, that makes him uh, a pretty powerful guy in the area over here. And so just to give you guys a timeline on that one, and what a, a great scam that one is. Um, but uh, the year is now 1827. And Jim Bowie is of questionable wealth and possibly owns vast amounts of land in Louisiana and now elsewhere. And he's going to get into a feud, a pretty infamous feud in his life with a guy by the name of Norris Wright, who is his local parish sheriff. So down in Louisiana, they have parishes instead of townships and stuff like that. Um, and this feud is going to set the stage for his legacy as being a hard man to kill. We already kind of covered that. Kahuna's tough to kill. You can't really mess with this guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this sets the stage over here. Sheriff Wright knew that Jim Bowie supported his opponent for sheriff in the upcoming election. And uh, Wright had even gone out of his way to punish Jim Bowie for this by having him ensured that he would be denied a bank loan for uh, some more of the land speculation he was trying to do. Yeah, Jim Bowie is, is going to the bank asking for a loan for further land speculation deals. And Sheriff Wright um, kind of coerces this banker to not – uh, not allow the loan to go through to uh, so Bowie. So there's there's bad blood between Wright and Bowie. Because right? baby, now we got bad blood. <laughs> At yeah. this very moment, I really wish Jim's last name was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> right versus wrong. <laughs> I wish, man. Uh, it well, it would have been so great. Here's how great of a, a feud this turns into, by the way. And um, I know we're going to keep it up here at the end, too. I do want to be able to try to read some of those uh, comments at the end. I can see a, a couple of – we got Deb Potts is back in the building here. 
my boy Ryan Willie, great dude. Max Antonucci, Eric Alba, former guests of the show coming on here. Uh, Hector Jimenez jumped in on that one, Dad. You know, he owes us some money, I think. I'm not sure. But. Oh, Nick Turn. Franco, Soapy Smith is in the house. Well, there was another flim flam artist for sure. <laughs> sure was, sure was. <laughs> Previous so, episode. We appreciate all you guys, man. Love everybody that's watching the show right now. Appreciate you on that one. Like we said, if you missed part of it, the full episode will be available. We'll see. Cahoon will tell me we can get me the audio, and then we'll have the video up here sometime this week. But we're back. We're back, motherfuckers. We're back, okay? <laughs> we're here. I'll be here next week. This guy's going to Aruba, okay? But I'll be back. Hey, Kahuna will be back. We're going to have a be, good one. Yeah. Gotta, gotta I might be on camera. Jesus. Oh, you uh, – You actually, yes. <laughs> um, but this feud with Norris Wright gets pretty hysterical over here. The sheriff, by the way, in this year leading up to what's going to become the bloody fiasco – the sheriff even fires a random shot over at Jim Bowie one time. Doesn't hit him. Okay, just fires a shot at him, lets you know, hey, if you think I like you, right. let me make sure you don't think that again. Right. Yeah, so. so James Bowie is taking pot sh- oh, is receiving pot shots from uh, you know from Wright, and with that, I mean, he's just walking down the street and, and Wright's firing shots at him. That's when Brother uh, Resin now. Um, offers a knife Ooh. to Jim. Ooh, that, hey, from now on, when you're walking around, you got to be carrying a knife. And, and to be a knife fighter at the time is not unheard of. I mean, that was you. You got to remember, folks. We're back in single shot um, pistol type uh, situation. And then once you fired that first shot, what's left? Well, <laughs> you, you're going to stop and reload while somebody's charging you. You better have something for close quarter fighting. And a musket ain't going to cut it with a bayonet on it. A right. sword is takes a second to get out of a scabbard here. Right. A saber, maybe perhaps you could get away with. But dad, what kind of knife does Jim Bowie start to brandish? Well, he starts uh, brandishing a Bowie knife. It came from his brother, a resin. So, you know, uh, it's good when they name it after you. That's right. That's right. Um, what are the specs on a Bowie knife? Are uh, the specs on a Bowie knife? Well, sharp. <laughs> this little, this little, uh, Inc- incredibly sharp disagreement, if you will, with Sheriff Wright. Coons, could you pull up, uh, could you pull up f- the picture of this too while my father's describing it? A yeah. famous fight. Well, I'm going to describe the fight in a second, but just, we, I want to talk about the, the Bowie knife that he's brandishing here. Okay. Well, the original Bowie knife, it, it's, it's speculative as to what exactly it looked like. Um, it was described as a very large butcher knife. So we're we're talking, you know, a large knife. Um, think of, uh, you know, that famous scene in uh, Crocodile Dundee. Where, that's not a knife. That, that's not a knife. This here is a knife. <laughs> <laughs> this sucker is about as long as his arm. So um, someone had actually. That's kind of the knife that we're talking about here. Someone had posted a photo where they had found the knife. It was his brother's, but they had oh, found. Wow what it actually looked like yeah and again it, it's it's speculative because it's um a big ass knife once uh once we get to the part where um mr mr Bowie and mr wright have a little uh tete-a-tete if you will and uh <laughs> well we're going to get into the, the effectiveness of the knife here but if you can see the picture here and that's why i love being on the uh, video platform right now too the knife is about um i believe the length of the knife is 9.25 inches which Kahuna, if you'll let me real quick, I'm just going to take my pants down to show people what 9.25 <laughs> inches looks like. Minus Please um, six. <laughs> Please. Anyway, just picture two of those lined up together, and that's the length of the knife. Um, 
No, so it's 9.25 inches long. Uh, it's got a, obviously it's a curved blade here. Now there's also going to be, um, hey, Tim Rosario just popped in. So, um, oh, and, and Deb Potts says her dad actually owned one of these knives. Chelsea, how we doing, girl? Um, so there's actually a little curved piece on uh, over the knuckle too to protect the, the the fingers of the user of the knife here too. So this is good. There's a thrust parry uh, and uh, uh, what was it? A thrust and parry. So it's almost like fencing, but with knives. It's definitely a little bit of a. Um, it's not quite Michael Jackson's beat it video, <laughs> but there is some good knife fighting going on over here. Yeah. So um, now that knife's pretty intimidating looking too. And witnesses, when they see this brandished for the first time, describe it as like a butcher knife from hell kind of a thing. So, Does it have that weird shape like the like the bayonets did too? That made it kind of like harder for them to heal, or was it just kind of like? Well, there were variations of that that came uh, down the road. I mean, once once he becomes famous as a knife fighter, the Bowie knife um, takes on a lot of different variations. But again, speaking to the times. Um, when you're in close quarters because you've already fired your one shot from your revolver and you're in close quarter fighting, a knife is, you know, you you want to bring a knife to a gunfight. <laughs> That's really <laughs> what it amounts to be. Because, um, and and uh, the, the gun, um, the pistol is, you know, not always accurate and not always, um, a lot of misfires and everything else. So you better have something for close quarters um, and, repeatable if you will multiple multiple stabbings kahuna's playing a, a gunfight versus a knife fight here okay yeah indy indy had some stuff figured out <laughs> that's right <laughs> takes care of that this is totally unrelated but do you know why this scene is so legendary because this it, wasn't supposed to it happen wasn't intended right harrison was very very sick and just was like fuck oh. this <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, <laughs> get off my plane. <laughs> um, but uh, this this knife is a very intimidating looking knife. There's knife fighting is, is definitely a thing that's happening here because, like you said, Dad, it's um it's cheaper than bullets. You can settle some stuff. You get up nice and close and personal with them. All right, Bill the Butcher from Gangs of New York knew a little bit about that. Um, but this knife's going to become legendary from this particular incident known as the Sandbar Fight. So we've heard of bar brawls down here in the Jersey Shore, but um, this one does not involve uh, the situation, okay? This one is quite a situation. The two men are going to be fighting in a duel in front of a crowd. One man is supported by Jim Bowie and his friends, and the other is supported by Sheriff Wright, Norris Wright, to be exact. Yeah, but and they're not the two guys that are, go that are going to the fight. They're this just was, this was spectators. A duel. Right, right. They were seconds, if you will, mm -hmm. or spectators. They were the crowd behind the, the two sides. Like, here, hold my coat kind of a thing. Exactly. <laughs> so Bowie's got their guy that's going to go out and fight. They're like watching a UFC fight, but it's like rival high schools fighting each other kind of a thing. So as the, uh, the rowdy crowd is watching on, the two duelists, these guys who are, are dueling one another, they will both fire shots at one another and then realize, okay, so you, 10 paces, turn around, boom, pull your trigger, you know, shoot the gun, good to go. And then neither of them were hit by the bullets, but they both faced down a duel. So their honor is both intact. They're now going to resolve this duel like gentlemen with a handshake, sir. A handshake. Right, right. There you handshake go. does it. That's right. Wait it's a minute. Now. I, I, I call bullshit on one thing. <laughs> Stand by. How, how is it that if neither of you get hit by a bullet, you both walk away with honor? To me, that sounds like the exact reverse thing. It's like you're both terrible shots. That's you both <laughs> suck. You both walk away idiots. Yeah, but you showed up for the for the fight. But you showed up for the okay. – You stood yeah. toe to toe and you, you gave them your best. 
and you're just, just both having, terrible shots. You're yeah, both you don't call shots, somebody but, a wimp for losing a right. UFC fight. You right. still got in the octagon. Okay, fair um, enough. So now those two guys, the original duelists, actually resolve their issue with a handshake. Um, however, the uh, the rowdy crowds on both sides, they're not ready to, for this to end on a pleasant note. Nuh-uh, they don't like each other. And fighting starts to break out amongst the viewers of the duel. That's right. <laughs> so we've got a... Uh, We've got an English soccer game going on here where the crowd is now English. <laughs> where the where the crowd is now fighting amongst the crowd. Exactly. Right. Somebody uh, somebody just threw a cup at Ron Artest. Shit's going down. Okay, folks, <laughs> right. things are getting wild here. Uh, Jim Bowie is not doing anything. He's not fighting anybody. He's unprovoked. He's sitting there and he gets shot in the hip by a bystander. Okay, he then gets uh, back onto his feet. And uh, draws out from his coat what onlookers describe as that butcher's knife, which we were showing earlier here, and gets himself into the melee. He goes after the man who shot him, but the man who shot him has now he, – he's fired his pistol. It's a one-shot pistol. This guy now comes over and breaks the pistol over Jim Bowie's head, Kahuna. Right. So he Breaks did- a pistol on your head after he's already shot you in the hip, mind you. Okay. Ouch. Right. He was Sounds shot like at, it hurts. He was shot at hitting the hip. So he took the high hard one into the into the hip. And then, wow! And then as he's charging this guy, he gets up and as he's charging the guy, he's whacked over the head with the pistol that fired the shot, and he's knocked to the ground. Now while he's on the ground, Sheriff Wright, because he's an upright standing citizen, he's decides because he's a scumbag, goes, "Oh look, Jim Bowie's down there on the ground." Aims his pistol at him to try to shoot Bowie while he's on the ground after he's got a pistol broken over his head, and shoots at him. Does not hit him, okay? He misses. Jim Bowie returns fire and wounds the sheriff. The sheriff then takes out a sword cane. So he has a cane. Imagine like an aristocrat walking around with a cane, Mr. Peanut type thing. You know what I mean? But he can take that out and it's a pointy sword. So it's not a, um, it's not like a, a big cleaver or anything like that that's going to make a huge wound or anything like that. But it is going to make a nice puncture wound. It's and a, it's yeah. certainly not something you want to take to the face. Or Which was very common for the times, too, that you had your walking stick. That you're going around with your walking stick. Now, you could use your walking stick or your cane as a club or a shillelagh. You know, the Irish would call it a shillelagh. <laughs> um, um, but you could also pull that from its wooden scabbard, which was the cane part of it. And now you've got this long needle-like sword type of a thing. Uh, cane sword. Absolutely. And by the way, uh, Stu Greenberg just commented in there too that the, the Bowie knife has transitioned into a survival knife, which is right because uh, I believe that's what Rambo winds up carrying yeah. with him is the serrated edges on that stuff too. It, it's pretty cool. I'll get into that in a little bit here. Oh, excellent. So now the melee is going on here. Jim Bowie's been shot in the hip. He just had a pistol broken over his head. Someone's taking a shot at him while he's on the ground. He returns fire, shoots the sheriff. The sheriff comes over with a sword cane or cane sword, however you want to say it. And impales him in the chest. He skewers Jim Bowie. Right. Okay. While Bowie's on the ground, hits him with that. Now, uh, so let's let's count it up. He shot in the hip. He knocked knocked to the ground. Hip wound. Head hip wound, wound. And now he's skewered with the cane sword uh, into the chest. Okay, into the chest. And what does he do? He's sitting there. He's laying prone. And Sheriff Wright puts his boot on top of Jim Bowie's chest to then pull the skewer out like the shish kebab of his enemy that he just <laughs> hid right here. Goes ahead, takes that uh, as he's getting ready to try to take the sword out. Before he can remove the sword from Jim Bowie's chest, Jim Bowie tackles him to the ground, takes out the Bowie knife, guts and disembowels the sheriff in front of everybody as they look on in horror. Sheriff Wright is killed instantly. Jim Bowie gets up, gets up. 
gets shot again, okay, and then gets stabbed by one of the sheriff's supporters. And he's sitting there all while he's got this sword cane sticking out of his chest, covered in the blood of his enemy. Rambo's got nothing on Jim Bowie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's insanity, man. It's absolute insanity here. And of course, uh, the doctors are able to treat Jim Bowie's wounds. And now the legend of Jim Bowie and the sandbar fight is going to get international attention because this tough son of a bitch just does not know how to die, folks. He's not sure how to do it. He's never done it before. He might never. Yeah, and the doctors were there at at the scene because when you were going to have a duel, you would normally bring a doctor. So just in case the original duel, one of the duelists was a doctor if too. The duel, <laughs> if the duelists were uh, were you know the original duelists were injured, that you would have a doctor there to patch up if it, if it happened to be a non mortal wound kind of a thing. So yeah, so they were able to uh, patch old uh, Jim up and uh, to live to fight another day, but. Uh, Old Sheriff Wright, well, he's uh, he's on the ground with his guts. No more. No he died more. instantly. Right. He, he was, was separated from his intestines. Gutted and disemboweled. <laughs> separated from his intestines. <laughs> yeah. They went through a rough divorce. That's right. So uh, now Bowie is uh, he's a wild man here. He's uh, he's having some good stuff going Wait, on over here. Before we proceed, Continue. Eric just made my favorite comment, and that's – how you get a knife named after you, yep. kids. Good old Eric <laughs> yeah. Albert. We're going to bring him back into the studio here soon, man. We just got to figure out the logistics for it. Um, so yes. that's, I mean, so Jim Bowie now has international acclaim over this whole, uh, what became known as the sandbar fight, because this whole original duel, again, dueling was still illegal, but people would go off just as Alexander Hamilton did with, uh, you know, in, in Weehawk, and uh, that was a famous <laughs> duel. Um you know, we have this this uh, come to Jersey and find out. Yeah. I believe that was Aaron Burr's final words. <laughs> this sandbar fight, the sandbar is on the sandbar of the Mississippi. So that became that duel became known as the sandbar. Fight, we do have the picture of it there. If you could bring up that other visual aid, Coons, that's yeah, the one of him you. on the ground. You saw that one. So here's the picture. I didn't want to have that photo up because I didn't want to. Be, but you can see literally he's gutting um, the sheriff as the sheriff is trying to pull his little pencil sword out of him there. So yeah. that's Jim Bowie. Cane sword. Bad motherfucker. Um, Damn. So he he gains in, international acclaim over this whole thing, and everybody wants to know what the heck, exact, what exactly did this knife look like, kind of a thing. And he is, you know, he's the hot media topic uh, of the times, and we're not just talking in Louisiana, but all over the United States, in England, and everything else. Um, he goes to the east with uh, his brother uh, Resin. Resin hires a uh, local. Um, a sword or knife maker and to his specs now creates the second Bowie knife, if you will. And that's really what became known as the Bowie knife. People all over the world now. Want now to they have, wanted this thing. They, oh, yeah. they want to have a, a Bowie knife just there like Jim, Jim Bowie's There's knife. knife fighting schools in England that are teaching the Jim Bowie method. method. <laughs> yeah, it right. is, uh, it, it's pretty wild, man. I love this photo because you said that there were fights that were breaking out yeah. at, at this sandbar fight. I love the idea of in the background while this is all going on is someone, Kevin Hart, like oh shit yo he about to skew it i do oh my god yo wrong one it does get wild man you're yeah. waiting for uh so oh this knife god. really becomes uh almost as famous as uh jim himself and uh you know um again during the times uh everybody wanted to have a, a knife to protect themselves so, i'm so sorry what my, my gorski <laughs> 
<laughs> he may have gutted the sheriff, but did he get the deputy? <laughs> <laughs> I shot the sheriff. I stabbed the sheriff. Uh, Yo, uh, there it is, folks. 10 That's out the of 10. There you go. That Get was back. fucking great. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, no, hold on. You get full. You get full Kahuna Vision for that one. That was fucking great. <laughs> full screen Kahuna Vision. Oh my god! Absolutely great stuff. Great stuff. But uh, you know, this knife becomes very famous, and for the times now, everybody wants to carry their their second means of protection, the Bowie knife, and uh, um, especially in in the uh, old Southwest, um, it, it gains um, a lot of attention during um, the. Uh, Texas uh, independence war for uh, from Mexico from Mexico the Mexican War the California Gold Rush anybody that's badass and going into uh, you know not so friendly territory if you will you're going to be having a Bowie knife on your side you know who had one um, very Uncle fam- Pauly <laughs> Uncle Pauly mm-hmm. um, there is a lot of people um, even as famous as Uncle Pauly that uh, would carry a Bowie knife. Um, even the civil strife in Kansas, where we had Mr. Uh, John Brown, previous episode, John Brown carried a booth. Um, John Wilkes Booth, the assassin of, the assassin of Abraham Lincoln carried a Bowie knife. Um, Brigham Young, president of the church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints, Steve used Young. to carry a, a Bowie, a Bowie knife. Um, you know, and it, it, it started to morph into some of the things that um, Kahuna was um, alluding to earlier that um, actually the uh, very famous uh, Marine uh, K-Bar knife is a variation on the original Bowie That's knife. That's what Stu was saying, yeah. Um, and then uh, the, the Rambo knife and even survival knives that now you're taking the handle and you're being able to unscrew the cap on the uh, on the handle of the, of the Bowie knife and you're putting – survival stuff matches and compass and all that kind of stuff uh into your bowie knife so i mean it, it became more popular as time went on for for hunting purposes for skinning animals and that type of stuff as 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 opposed to uh self-defense but uh yeah i mean when the marines are using a k-bar knife that's a, a form of a bowie knife a lot smaller than than the original but the, uh, uh, i believe the exact quote too when they asked about uh the incident at the sandbar fight dad was that jim bowie said they drew first blood yeah yeah the united states air force used it as a, sur- a survival knife so yeah right. they drew <laughs> i didn't want a war but they drew first blood nothing is finished <laughs> But Bowie is a wild man, all right? Jim Bowie is a wild man, and Texas is a wild place. And uh, Bowie likes to own land. Texas has plenty of it. Seems like an easy fit. All Jim Bowie has to do in order to get land over in Mexico is convert to Roman Catholicism and swear an oath of allegiance to Mexico. He does so and will eventually join up with the famed Texas Rangers after meeting Stephen Austin. That is not Stone Cold. That is Stephen Austin. (laughs) Right. The original uh, Stephen That's right. Um, Not the the, the million-dollar man. Um, But uh, Stephen Austin himself, uh, they do actually meet. So that's another one of these meetings of the minds things where uh, like characters of Game of Thrones all coming together. But it's reality. This is our history. So um, he does so, winds up joining up with the Texas Rangers here. They're not officially formed to like 1834. Something I forget, but um, their actual job in which uh, uh, Jim Bowie rises to the rank of colonel within the Texas Rangers is to help protect the citizens from Native American attacks. So they are um, essentially like a, a police force, National Guard, uh, you know, bodyguard type situation. Yeah, and previous episodes would tell us that uh, 
you know, this is one of the reasons why the Mexican government allowed the Americans to come in because they were hopeful that the Americans were going to protect the Mexicans from the Comanches. So, <laughs> and, but there were so many different Mexican governments. I mean, what did we say? There was 14 or 16 different um, forms of the Mexican uh, federal government. Uh, and Santa Ana was in, he's out, he's in, he's out. So at this particular, what we're leading up to is a point where Santa Ana is in, and he's now trying to squelch the uh, the Americans. Right, now Santa Ana was able to overthrow Christian Cordes, who was ruling with an iron fist. Um, for those paying attention at home, and just back in the comments here, uh, Bill McCaslin, I think it says, uh, "Hey, mm-hmm. welcome, welcome to the show, buddy. Hope you enjoy it, man." Uh, we got my girl Chelsea's back in there asking if Stephen Austin hit him with a stunner. Um, <laughs> and of course, Megan Burke Allward, you do spy Teddy. He's there here. He He's here. So give a. I like how give the a, I like how the comment kind of matches up <laughs> with where Teddy is. It's gold on that one, man. Now, um, again, so he's going to wind up down there uh, over in Texas. He's going to sort to, you know, he he's got a couple ideas here, man. Um, some of the settlers um, in all you had to do, Mexico has all this land. Now they're their own government, but they're centralized. Mexico is a huge, huge place, and the governing body is really based in Mexico City. So now they have this whole northern Mexico area that's wildly unsettled. The best way you could do that in order to have a land um, – uh, uh, in order to own that land, you're, you're entitled to that land, if you will, as long as you can have settlers and produce settlers there. So the invitation was for these Anglo settlers. Uh, all they were asked to do was don't practice slavery, uh, convert to Roman Catholicism. It's the only religion we're allowing here because they are still a Spanish colony. Right. And swear your loyalty to Mexico. Some settlers legitimately did absolutely none of this. Jim Bowie did convert to Catholicism, but would again become involved in land speculation and bought up large tracts of land. He would even convince newer settlers to buy land grants for him under their names in exchange for money he would pay them and or services. And you'll be a part of my business moving forward here. Jim Bowie was becoming a sort of land baron in this area known as Texas. He will also, by the way, if you want to talk about a way to get yourself into there, uh, you know, make sure that you're going to be guaranteed <laughs> uh, uh, a solid treatment here. He's already been guaranteed a citizenship. But one better way to do that is to marry the beautiful daughter of the province's vice governor. So he's going to marry into uh, Mexican aristocracy. It's uh, a little bit easier, by the way, too, if you want to speak Spanish like Jim Bowie does. You want to get a, a gorgeous uh, young uh, Spanish uh, wife who happens to be a very well-connected member of the Mexican aristocracy. And you can slide right in there because you speak Spanish. You know how to talk to the uh, to the chicas, my friend. <laughs> all right. Now, Jim Bowie seems like he has money thanks to all this land ownership that he has going on. But it's not what we would call in the banking business fluid. <laughs> Most of his assets are frozen due to the questionable legality and continued controversy surrounding ownership. And uh, is this legal? Uh, what part of it? What if the United States comes in and takes this over here? By the way, at one point, he does actually renounce his American citizenship in order to guarantee his uh, favor within the Mexican government. So and this is like it's Ooh. like but it's like trading teams, you know what I mean? That they're not there's not actually like uh, these firm boundaries and stuff like that. It's pretty much just like hey man, so uh, you know, uh yeah, I am a Mets fan this year. It looks like they're winning. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. like, uh, Mets have a better record than the Yankees right now. So let's go Mets. You know, that's kind of their thing. And it also has to do with the political climate if you will in Mexico City as to whether these Anglos are going to be allowed to stay or they're going to be uh, thrown out or whatever. So things are there's no really uh, solid bedrock of uh, of the establishment. It, keep, cause exactly. it keeps shifting back and forth. So, well, uh, now here's this is my favorite part of the whole story here. So, because of his money being kind of considered, well, he he's wealthy as long as this is 
actually his. We can't really prove it isn't, but we can't he can't profit off this either. So he's going to turn his attention to another avenue for wealth. Enter this is my favorite part of the entire episode. This is something I had no clue about. Enter the legend, and I wish uh, Lynette Palladino was here um, to help us pronounce this. Um, <laughs> Los Almagres mine. Okay. It is a mine, a mythical mine, if you will, that was northwest of San Antonio. And it's a legendary mine, Kahuna, because this apparently this mine uh, had been operated by the Spanish when Mexico was still under Spanish control and was abandoned after Mexico won its fight for independence. And the Mexican army was not able to, the government, if you will, was not able to guarantee the safety of the workers there. And it was too far and too remote because it's well north of San Antonio, which is you know already you know, well into the Texas territory. And that's where the wild Native Americans are at, and you know some of them being the most feared. So, yeah. Plus the fact that the the speculation was that this mine has a longer history than just the Spanish; that it went back to the Native Americans. They, they were even mining. they were mining it for silver at the time. So this is a a legendary um, the lost mine of the uh, Native Americans that uh, of Los Almagres. Yeah, yeah, there you go. See, I think I hit it. All right, well, add right. that to the list yeah. of American loser movie ideas. <laughs> it really would be a good one. So um, Kahuna's got an idea. It's uh, um, Kermit and the Expedition for the Lost Mine of Gold. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I mean, the world needs another Muppet movie. And it needs You're to not be wrong. based on a, on a true story. So there you go. I, I, in, I cannot wait for the day. I just ask for the invitation to come to the premiere. <laughs> <laughs> but this idea, by the way, that an entire mine full of precious metals, silver, gold, perhaps all abandoned, maybe even just being used by the, the hostile natives in the area right now. Jim Bowie's living a nice life with his wife and children in San Antonio. That's where they set up shop. They, they have a nice place over in San Antonio. A little ironic, Dad. Where's the Alamo? Uh San Antonio? So you're going to build your life right nearby. You're going to end your life. Right. Uh, we already covered it. Jim Bowie doesn't make it out of this story alive. Nobody really does. Um, now, he does decide that he and his brother are going to depart with a crew. They have a crew of – it's him, his brother, and 10 other men. And they're going to go search deep into Native American ter uh, territory for this lost mine. There would be no rescue parties. There will be no government troops to support them. These men will be absolutely on their own if the shit hits the fan. Right. Okay, They're going in. It is behind enemy lines, if you will. We have no idea what's coming for you. It's like every every spooky adventure movie you've ever kind of seen. You're not sure what's in the woods waiting for you. Yeah, and you don't have a you don't have a pinpoint as to where this uh, lost mine is. It's a lost mine. They call it the lost mine for good reason because nobody's think. sure where the hell it is. But yeah, we're going to go looking around for it anyhow. They think they have some ideas here. Right. So um, news would reach San Antonio from some friendly Native Americans. This is well after the voyage has gone down. So Bowie and his brother are out there. They got 10 men with them. They take off and uh, they're off into deep into Native American territory. And then news will reach San Antonio that some of the friendly Native American tribes were going to come into town and they're doing some trading and kind of talking to people. And they say, uh, by the way, we saw a giant uh, raiding war party from our rival tribe that was heading in the direction about, uh, you know, north of San Antonio, northwest of San Antonio. So they're not coming near you guys here, but there's there's definitely, if you have any friends out there, maybe let them know that a giant war party's out there. And they say, oh, shit, Jim Bowie just went out there with 10 guys. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. Everybody assumes they're dead to the point where Ursula Veramende uh, is- His um, wife. Yes, his wife, who he has two children with, um, she begins wearing widow's clothing because the belief is that the entire party has been wiped out on their search for gold. 
So this again, this this idea of mysterious gold here. Yeah, Cortez fell for it. Um, friggin' everybody's fallen for it in this idea of this new world. And it looks like it maybe has claimed the life of Jim Bowie. Okay. She's wearing her uh she's tearfully lamenting her husband's death until in December when the party shows back up. <laughs> Bowie and the boys are back, Cones. <laughs> back in the town. boys are back in town. The boys are back in town. <laughs> <laughs> the boys are back over here, uh, much like this podcast. Bowie's and, uh, floated back up. Well, oh, uh, here's the crazy part. What do you think, Kahuna? Do you think um, do you think they just? It, it's like one of those Lewis and Clark things, with the the troops were after him. They just never met up with him. It's big, vast wilderness. They kind of got lucky. Yes, they must have. Right? They must have. Yeah, that's it's. Or did they just kind of plow right through him? And, and we're talking James Bowie here. So this is Jim Bowie. He's pretty no hard to kill. Around or sneaking, sneaking uh, back this dude into just, town. He was like, "Yeah, we encountered them. We're here, aren't we?" The party returns back to San Antonio. They did wind up crossing paths with the Native War Party. They were about six miles away from the believed location of the mine when all hell sprang loose. Keep in mind, there's 12, 12 of these guys together. It's the two Bowie brothers and 10 other guys that came with them. The numbers are estimated to have been 120 native warriors attacked the Bowie brothers party. That is 10 to 1 odds, folks, 10 to 1. Uh, and for 13 hours of brutal fighting, Jim Bowie's party lost but one man. And on the ground lay 40 dead Native Americans and at least 30 more that were wounded before the Native American war party retreated cutting their losses and moving on. You can't kill Jim Bowie. All right? Holy crap. Ain't nothing yeah. can kill Barnes but Barnes. <laughs> and he so, only lost one dude. He returns back with just one man. Now, this will wait, also- Wait, wait. He returns back yeah, sorry, with he returns one, back yeah, he one, one man guy. short. One okay. man short. Correct. Good catch. Thank I you. I was like, wait. So, um, the full account written in Spanish by Bowie. All right? I'm going to learn Spanish, by the way, folks. Okay? All right? I'm coming for you. That's- <laughs> So you can pronounce these without exactly. I'm going to have to teach myself uh, Spanish. For, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, but written in Spanish by uh, Jim Bowie and verified by all survivors. Again, this story will draw international attention as the town is shocked to see them that they had survived their brush with death. Jim Bowie is a damn hard man to kill. And by the way, he didn't really want to talk about these exploits. He considered the venture a failure. He was embarrassed by this. Okay, he was truly embarrassed because he thought that by not finding the mine that it was a failure and that a man died for no reason. Uh, Jim Bowie was a complex guy here, so you want to start a fight with him, he's going to finish it. But he's not exactly looking for blood around every corner. He's not uh, Captain Testosterone Hernan Cortez, who's going to kill everything that moves on his way towards the city of gold. And unfortunately, Jim is considered a good man. They even said he didn't like to curse too too much. Um, and he's, uh, he's definitely a mythic figure here in the town. He's a little bit of a legend now between that duel and everything else he's got going on. But in 1833, uh, major, major tragedy, a life-altering tragedy is going to uh, come for Jim Bowie here. Uh, 1833, there's a cholera outbreak. And in order to have it avoid his, uh, his, his wife and his kids, uh, Jim Bowie sends the wife and children to his in-law's house to go live with them. Again, the uh, vice governor of the territory is his father-in-law. And that they're a wealthy family with means, they should be able to separate themselves or at least if cholera does come for them, they could get doctor's attention. Uh, hopefully be able to uh, – picture trying to hide out from COVID when it was first breaking out. You knew right. that there was that kind of a thing here. So he sends his family away to be safe. We're going to the summer house. Yeah. So get, get, get out of here. Take the kids with you. Um, the outbreak unfortunately reaches his family nonetheless and Jim Bowie will lose in one foul swoop his wife 
his two children, and his in-laws. They are all wiped out due to illness. Cholera takes out his entire life in one foul swoop. Good Lord. Upon receiving word that his entire family has now been killed from this disease, uh, Jim Bowie will begin drinking heavily and begins to appear disheveled, but nevertheless is still kind of looking for his next fight. He's a train wreck drunk, they're saying at this point, and that's not who he was beforehand. He had a little, you know, he'd like to have, you know, raise a little hell every now and then, but now he's like fall down drunk during the middle of the day. He's not dressing himself well. He kind of looks like he's just given up. Just picture picture a guy absolutely defeated. Picture a guy who just lost his entire family to cholera. That's kind of what you're dealing with here. So um, he's still a damn hard man to kill though. And that's going to bring us up to – we're going to jump ahead. That was in 1833. For two years now, he's been a drunk mess Okay, of a, a lot of things. He's definitely – there's some question marks as to uh, some of his character traits here. Uh, but on October 2nd, 1835, the Texas Revolution will begin with the Battle of Gonzales. And Santa Ana, who at one time was somebody that Jim Bowie had supported, has now assumed these dictator-type status in parts of Texas. And they are absolutely against the Anglo settlers. They're attempting to get them to either leave or bend the knee, kind of a thing, to borrow a term from uh, Game of Game Thrones. Of Thrones yeah. So bloodshed is imminent. And of course, Jim Bowie is ready for it. Uh, Jim Bowie will lead men into the battle at the Battle of Concepcion and force the retreat of Mexican forces. So yet again, he's he's proving that he can handle himself in a gunfight here. Uh, despite showing great skill, having his ass-kicker reputation, and being lauded by his men as a natural combat leader, because he's a little bit of a drunk, because of the weird land grab stuff going on, Jim Bowie's having a real hard time earning a commission in the Texian army. In fact, some of his men are still referring to him as Colonel Bowie, from his time with the Texas Rangers, but he doesn't actually have the rank of colonel. It's just we're calling you colonel because that's how we're treated. That's like uh, Colonel uh, Sanders, uh, yeah, the chicken guy. <laughs> <laughs> so let's not confuse Jim Bowie with Colonel Sanders. No, no, both colonel of them. Jim. Both of them have killed a lot of people, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Colonel Bowie is what the, the men are calling him here. But he doesn't actually hold that rank, and he can't seem to get uh, his hands on a legit commission here. Now, Sam Houston. Okay, Sam Houston, who's one of the, the generals of the Texas uh, Revolution here, he actually offers to make uh, Jim Bowie a member of his staff, which is a super high honor. But Jim Bowie turns it down and enlists as a private. I'll give you one guess as to why, Kahuna. Ooh. He just turned down a position on the staff of the one of the major generals of the entire friggin' uh, revolution here. You literally could be hanging out with George Washington during the American Revolution, <laughs> yeah. or you could enlist as a private. The reason being, Jim Bowie goes. Oh, you know, wait! I want to guess. Take a guess, brother. It didn't sound like enough fun. <laughs> You're very close. It, that's pretty much. You actually could even just say that's the right answer. He goes. Ah, I'm not going to get in the thick of the fighting over here. In a oh no, place. shit! So he enlists as a private, and he goes, "Get me in it. Get me in the fight, yeah. boys." My At this point, I feel like this dude. I mean, he lost his family. My business feel, is, is it, killing, is it, and it, killing is good. He's business ready. Is good. Yeah. I mean, um, at this point, you could say he's just – he's trying to die. Oh, it's it's definitely there. Um, so it's uh, it's wild, man. It's it's definitely – he's a different guy here too, but his reputation is still sterling among uh, the other frontiersmen. Everybody knows, hey, yeah, he drinks a lot, but just don't don't mess with him, all right? Yeah. Uh, now, Bowie will lead a, a raid on what becomes known as the grass fight. So Santa Ana sent a bunch of his uh, troops out in order to collect grass to feed the horses. And uh, while they were attempting to get back into uh, the safety of uh, some of their fortifications, Jim Bowie and his men on horseback 
will chase down the Mexican army. Okay, and while very few casualties are actually endured, uh, Bowie's able to capture a bunch of horses and mules, which are all critical to this Texian cause as they're attempting to fight back against Santa Ana. So this leads us to January 19th, 1836. Okay. Uh, and by the way, if you're still with us here on the live stream, we appreciate you. If you had to dip out, hey, we get it, man. All right. We don't, we, you don't have to give us two hours of your day. Um, but we do love you. All right. On that one. Can and like I come said, back to it. <laughs> again, the audio version will be up on iTunes here shortly. Uh, the video version of this, the full thing on YouTube, whenever Kahuna can get it over to me. And again, if you guys want to support the show for as little as three bucks a month. Okay. Otherwise, I have to start informing on slave trading that I'm doing in order to make the money I need to continue this show. <laughs> um, Kahuna vision. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, it's uh, they're robot slaves. Um, so Bowie, again, leads this raid on the grassway there. He's able to get horses and mules in order for the cause. But now it's 1836. Jim Bowie will arrive with 30 of his men and an old Spanish mission that's deemed critical to the revolution. His hometown. He's back in San Antonio, folks. All right. No wife and kids waiting for him. A lot of bad memories. And he's going to go to church, specifically a mission an old Spanish mission called the Alamo. And I'm just going to go ahead and say this here, folks. If you don't know the story of the Alamo, okay, if you don't know the story of the Alamo, um, what the hell, dude? Come on. All right. We're a history show, but we're not a textbook, okay? <laughs> the Alamo, you should know the deal here. Everybody went inside and fought inside the Alamo died. It became a rallying cry for the furthermen of the cause. Spoilers. Spoilers. Don't get all your history from a Disney movie, though. Exactly. Um, But uh, the point being here is that uh, there are few details leading up to the last stand of the Alamo that are pretty wild. There's a couple of them over here. Uh, Jim Bowie has arrived, but the Texas regulars are under the command of another gentleman who I think it's Neil is the guy's name. I think he's a captain, Captain Neil. And uh, Captain Neil, Captain Antoniel, um, <laughs> he has to go on leave because his family's very ill, probably potentially another cholera outbreak. Who's going to stop a guy from going to see his family here, especially because Santa Ana's army hasn't quite moved in on San Antonio just yet. And uh, they're trying to gather supplies and they're making this this makeshift fort out of this uh, tiny Spanish mission. So uh, what with him gone, a gentleman by the name of Travis Scott, who is, again, a, a prim and proper member, if you will. Um, a, 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 you know, a commissioned officer in this Texian army, if you will, uh, Travis Scott, is placed in charge of the Alamo. Uh, now, he's a lieutenant colonel. And what did we say was the rank, Kahuna, of, uh, that, that some of the men were calling Jim Bowie? Uh, well, well, you said he was a private now, though, right? So he's enlisted. This is where it gets tricky, right? Yeah, but but, but why, he's enlisted why? as a private, but they treat him. Yes. When he was with the oh. Texas Rangers, he was a... Think Kentucky Fried uh, Chicken. <laughs> remi- Colonel? Rhymes with Colonel. Yeah. <laughs> God so damn it. He's, uh, they're calling him Colonel Bowie. So why would we listen to Lieutenant Colonel Travis? So some of the men are ha- – and of course, again, 30 of the men showed up with him. Crockett's going to show up with about 30 of his Tennessee volunteers. And by the way, a bunch of uh, um, the New Orleans Grays, I think, are out there too, um, which are uh, volunteers from uh, Louisiana. I think they were the first to volunteer for the Texas Revolution, if I remember right. And I can't – truly prove it but i think that was actually one of the names of one of the the negro league teams as well was the uh the grays um i'll have to look that one up and verify that one but that would be a loserception to our uh 
uh, a couple of our uh, other episodes that we've done. I'll figure that one out on the back end here, folks. But because yeah, American newspapers were putting out um, ads for you know help help out the uh, the Texians, your fellow Americans that are in Mexico in Texas. Well, Dad, it's funny you should say that. So now <laughs> let me ask you a question here. So Santa Ana is uh, clearly a problem. He's calling himself the Napoleon of the West. Um, he's harassing former American citizens that have renounced their citizenship in order to become parts of this uh, uh, Texas kind of country over here, where they think they're starting their own new country in the Texas territory. It's the Texas territory of Mexico. So you're a little nervous here about this. Uh, President Monroe's already been in office. They have the Monroe Doctrine that says we won't get involved in affairs on the other side, but we will handle shit on our own soil. So let me ask you this one here real quickly. Mm -hmm. Okay. Who's president of the United States at this time? Uh, it's not Polk. Nope. Not yet. Who is nope. it? The president of the United States at this time is Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson, okay. Old Hickory, who again almost was a commanding officer of Jim Bowie and his brother. Okay, right. So it gets a little bit nuts over here. Bowie also uh, uh, is he has a respect for Crockett, who's just shown up, and Crockett has constant battles with Andrew Jackson. He served under him. They were friendly, then they hated each other. Uh, it's definitely a beef thing on that. So it's pretty remarkable too that Andrew Jackson is sitting there in D.C. right now, saying, "Let me see what these Texas boys are about to pull off." And then we'll decide what we're going to do from there. Right. He hated he hated uh, Crockett too. And that was one of the reasons why Crockett lost the election. That's why this they ran him out of DC. They, they ran him out of DC, and so he's going he's king off of the to, wild frontier. But he was a goat in the swamp. <laughs> he's going off. <laughs> he's going off to Texas to start a new life. Absolutely, man. So um, now Andrew Jackson is sitting there, kind of waiting to see what's going to happen. So they can't actively support the Texas Revolution, but they don't have to do anything to stop it either. So um, now, again, uh, as we're saying over here, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Travis is technically in command, but Colonel Bowie, as the men are calling him, the, he's the popular choice over here. Everybody wants to work with this right. guy. Um, now, those people see him as a total badass hero that he is. According to some in camp, though, uh, if you're supporting Bowie, you're actually supporting a guy who's a drunk, who's constantly indisposed with no official paperwork about a commission. So Jim Bowie and Travis Scott will actually hold an election, and it's Jim Bowie's idea, okay? They hold an election to see who the men want in charge. Kahuna, who do you think wins that one? Uh, the obvious choice. The obvious choice. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Nick Franco and Mike Gorski both just pulled it up here. The Homestead um, Grays of the Negro League. There you go. Um, Eric Albert dropped a gem that I didn't notice he often until does. just now. Another tragedy in a building involving Travis Scott. <laughs> Jesus I hate him. Christ, Al. <laughs> hey, Good Waylon Lord. Griffin, one of my uh, my Navy brothers right there. Amazing storytelling. Thank you, man. Appreciate you guys. Love, to, love telling the story. Love doing the show. It's great to be back here, man. We appreciate that. Um, so they hold this election to decide who's going to actually be in charge of the fortifications at the Alamo. And Jim Bowie wins the election. So what does he do to celebrate <laughs> that he's won this election? Jim Get Bowie pissed drunk. Pissed drunk out in town. They're harassing the citizens. Hey, you know what would be funny? If we freed everybody in the jail and just let them go. <laughs> that happens. That happens. What? Bowie <laughs> yeah. is running Animal House at the Alamo because he won his election. Oh Get out a jail free card for everybody. Louie, Louie. <laughs> oh, loud. <laughs> They love these guys. It gives a whole different meaning to you. Make me want to shout. Otis, my man. My man. Do you mind if uh, I dance with your dates? <laughs> well, now, uh, Jim Bowie outranks uh, again. Uh, per this election here, he's now in command over here. They decide two days later, Travis Scott, who's just disgusted with himself. He goes, guys, we have to talk. Um, so 
they decide on joint command. Travis Scott's going to run all the regulars. Jim Bowie will have all the volunteers. Okay. And now, of course, Davy Crockett and his Tennessee volunteers, they are going to arrive here. But that story gets all the attention all the time. And this show puts the spotlight firmly on second, second place. place. All right. We're here to tell a story, folks. Second. Jim Bowie is now using his Spanish, uh, his fluency in Spanish, his ability to write in Spanish as well. He's writing constant letters here. Uh, he's using all of his connections and the reputation of having been married into uh, a, a Mexican aristocracy family here in order to attempt to get more supplies and men to the Alamo. Sam Houston cannot make it happen. Jim Bowie writes back to Houston upon seeing Santa Ana's army with their overwhelming forces as they encroach upon the Alamo. He writes to him, he goes, Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> Uh oh. Big problem. Long pause. I didn't freeze, folks. I just wanted that to settle in there for a second, okay? <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Brilliant. You, you, you froze so well that I actually was looking at the monitor like, oh, fuck, what happened? <laughs> no, we're good to go on that one, man. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> it was no, uh, and that's why Garfield hates Mondays, but it's up there. Uh, oh, my God. Little inside gamer knowledge for you guys, man. Now, the men at the Alamo will make a mighty stand for 13 days. The cost of the capture of the old Spanish mission is high, and Santa Ana eventually will win the day, okay? Crockett and Jim Bowie both have conflicting stories about their death, okay? Almost all historians agree that Jim Bowie, who was unfortunately around this time frame, confined to his bed with an illness, like we said. Can you pull up that picture again of how he uh, he passed away? I, I shall, but I, I want to point something out. Oh, my God. I love this picture. Yeah, so – uh, if you watch the Disney version, spares no expense. By the way, for a, you were talking about Disneyfied thing, we soften Disney stuff a lot right now. Where you know it's fairy tales that have a very happy ending. This was what the seventies when that would have came out, Dad. Sixties or seventies? I think it's still the fifties. Maybe the fifties. You're right. Good call. Because Frontierland was one of the major parks for Disney. Um, Jim Bowie's death is the first I ever saw of like how to go out like a total badass. Um, Jim Bowie, I believe, as the the in in the Disney version. I'm not even talking about the other movie versions that John Wayne made or the one with uh, Billy Bob Thornton. Countless other tales of uh, – this is the, the Alamo. This is the Fess Parker, uh, Davy Crockett tale, OK? Um, the guy playing Jim Bowie is in his hospital bed, right? Sitting there dying. He can't get out of bed. He pulls himself out of bed every couple of days to try to get out there and see the boys or waves to him from his cot. But he can't leave the bed. This is Colonel Bowie, a bad motherfucker. The Mexican troops now knock down the door. Okay, bayonets drawn. They walk in, two pistols, boom, boom, fires two shots, grabs his knife. As they're gutting him on the bed, he's stabbing downward with the Bowie knife, trying to take out anybody that he can, and he's gutted to death on his bed. And that's how Jim Bowie dies in the Walt Disney version of this story. Yeah. <laughs> uh, damn. That must have been like after Disney died, where they were just like, "Let's go fucking buck wild." No, this was uh, this was the the, the start <laughs> of um, still around. Oh, this is the fifties. This yeah. was Frontierland time. Walt must have been dealing with some shit then. Well, they they kill Jim Bowie, and then I believe they show Colonel Scott, get, Lieutenant Colonel Scott, getting killed. They kill off Davy's best friend, but they couldn't kill off Davy Crockett because they knew that there was too many toys to be sold. <laughs> Yeah. We got to sell Crockett muskets. We need coonskin caps. Right, right. We need <laughs> which is and now loser puppet theater, which is totally hey, BS. I'm Jimbo, and I'm going to die, but I'm going to take out any person that tries to take me with them. Yes, we're going to kill you. <laughs> Try it, motherfucker. Yeah. I'm not sure either, folks. We're not sure. We don't know what happened. I don't know. <laughs> the end. Uh, Kahuna's edible just kicked in. 
<laughs> I love this visual format so goddamn it's, much. We're going to have a lot of fun here, man. This is just the start, folks. I hope you guys are enjoying what we're doing here. We so are now, wrap like, that, uh, here's my only question, though. So is this one of those situations where, like, uh, do we know where they're buried at? Like, do I they? I love that you asked that. It's the it's literally wow. the perfect question. He, he set us up. Prompted with that. No, he's no because like I, he's gold on the show is because isn't Davy like we don't know where he's at, but we know where a couple of other people are. Uh, I got a great a great final ending thing for that one here too. So I just want to check real quick before we bounce out. Any other comments we got to acknowledge here? Some. Uh, let's see. Someone probably acknowledging the edible kicking in. Let's see. <laughs> What is this? What is this? Rape of Veronica, <laughs> one of the best. All right. Fest Parker, don't fuck around. And uh, uh, Chelsea, this is why we love him. Well, thank a- you. See? <laughs> Someone gets it. We do love you, brother. You know that. Oh, man. Um, I love this show, man. Are you kidding me? It's uh, it, it's weird. We're coming up on uh, oh, Nick Bueller. It's going to be terrible. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Bueller's dark. All right. Do we even dare share that one? <laughs> uh, let's not. And say no. Only because YouTube. We like Facebook. Only because YouTube's a real son of a bitch. Yeah, I can't get kicked off again. I almost got in trouble for the uh, uh, when the the uh, last presidential election was uh, on the subject of some debate. I reposted the episode about Grover Cleveland and got a warning. Yeah, you made a comment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, got in a little trouble. I was for that told one. to relax. Grover Cleveland, guys, we're talking about Grover. Um, but anyhow, we're gonna wrap this bad boy up here. Um, before I throw over to ULP, because there are two theories about. Um, the deaths of Jim Bowie and Davy Crockett. There's one incredible story at the very end that I want to mention. Um, but is there anything else you want to say to the the, the people or little uh, tidbits that you dug up in your research, my friend? Well, just not not so much tidbits, but uh, that whole coonskin cap. I mean, growing up as a kid, I mean, everybody had to have a Davy Crockett hat, the coonskin cap. Um, but the reality of the situation, if you're in Texas wearing a coonskin cap in that summer heat, you stink. <laughs> There's no freaking way. There's no freaking way you're doing that. Well, I mean, a lot of these guys, as we showed in some of the pictures, they were losing their hair, Dad. So what they wanted oh. to do was to protect <laughs> from right. these sunspots. Make sure you still got so some was- buzz on top. Okay. I, I, I relate. I understand. That I think too. that's the... <laughs> I think the the coonskin cap is actually where they were like, you know, Beku, if we did that, but just with hair, you know what I mean? Like it's business up front, but it's party in the back. Uh, the creation and, of the that mullet. that kids is how the mullet was born. Exactly. Um, so I'll tell you what, um, anything you want to say to the folks? No, we're, we're just, this is, this has been a lot of fun. It's going to be, we're just the start of something here, yeah. my friend. All right. Yeah. So, of course, just like the first episode of the show, uh, the second episode of the show that I ever did, we had to bring in my cousin Kelly to uh, bail us out because this guy decided to go on a vacation. So now we got a video version of it. We're doing great here. We love how talking to you guys. And then he's going to bail for Aruba tomorrow. Um, hey, got to go to um, witness a wedding. You enjoyed it, my friend. Got to do what you got to do. Now, remember, you, know? you don't have to buy them. A, you don't have to give them a gift. Your gift is your your presence. By, you got wedding duty? Up. That sucks, mm-hmm. dude. It's all right. Going to Aruba. That's it's that's also the good part. It's getting me there. So They have Smittics in Aruba. So. <laughs> but, we can uh, go a red stripe or something. I'm terrified. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what. Uh, Coonskin Cap is the precursor to the mullet is gold. Keep that. <laughs> of course it is, Eric. Of course it is. We'll bring you in studio here soon, Eric. I love you, buddy. All right. Um, now, again, there's a couple of conspiracy theories, if you will. What's the what's American Loser without a little conjecture? Um, Time to put on the tinfoil hat and cue the X-Files theme song. <laughs> That's it. There are those who assume, and by the way, this is how serious te- uh, Texas takes its history. Um, Dad, I'll let you uh, follow up on that one here in a second. But um, here's what happened. Um there's some people that say, and by the way, almost by all accounts, 
um, Davy Crockett was in the thickest part of the fighting because that's where the Tennessee Volunteers, they took up uh, one of the, the less well-defended positions within the Alamo. So he was absolutely in the thickest of the fighting. Uh, there's those that say that he was either wounded and survived the initial onslaught and was then executed. Um, and when that first little bit of evidence was coming to light, um, historians were trying to determine the, the fact or fiction through that. Um, what was the response from some of the, the people of oh, Texas? Some, some of the some of the people just went absolutely apeshit over that, that then there's no freaking way that you're going to um, toy around with the myth of uh, of the way um, Davy Crockett. Davy Crockett had to die on the battlements, swinging his rifle uh, and fighting to the to the last man. Kind you of trying how, to dare, say, how dare you question our history? You trying right. to tell me Fess Parker <laughs> yeah. lied to me? <laughs> Walt Disney lied to me? <laughs> So there's some Again? conjecture there. And by the way, that actual ending is featured in the um, Billy Bob Thornton version of the Alamo. And by the way, Billy Bob Thornton crushes it in that movie. He's fantastic. Um, so I'm overdue to watch that one again. I think Jason Patrick plays uh, Jim Bowie in that one, if I remember. Can you look no, that, that one No, that one's Ken Krantz. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, this, this is a movie. It was successful. Um, <laughs> you look that one up for me there. So, and I think we used all our visual aids, right? We uh, went through all of them. I, I think so. Yeah, we're yep, we're good to go on that one. So, I'll tell you uh, what, folks. The Jim Bowie um, piece of conjecture here. Some say that although he was wounded, he was definitely bayoneted and, and you know stabbed, and he was going to die. He was carried out on his cot and they facing said, death from his deathbed. Correct. With guns blazing. Yeah, and they said that uh, a Mexican officer was then attempting to speak to him. And uh, then it was um, – he actually uh, was insolent to the man. I believe he profanely dressed down the Mexican officer who ordered his tongue to be cut out of his uh, his head. So it's – Bowie's dead. We know that much. All right. Bowie's dead. It was Jason Patrick, right? Yep. I was right. Nice. Two Jason Patrick rules. Um, so the whole point being this. doesn't matter how these guys died. They died. They became the battle cry uh, for – the entire Texas Revolution. Remember, the Alamo is being screamed by Sam Houston and his men at the Battle of San Jacinto, where they soundly defeat Santa Ana. Kick some ass on their own. Oh, they they kick the shit. It's like a ninety minute battle, maybe or something like maybe maybe even less than that. But very quickly, they're able to defeat and overwhelm Santa Ana's forces. Santa Ana, by the way, because he is a noble man. Um, <laughs> disguises himself dressed up in a uh, private uniform. uniform and is then captured. And they only recognized him because the guy had so many goddamn portraits of himself made over the years. They're like, hey, you look like that guy on that thing. So right. boom, they got him. They were able to capture Santa Ana. Okay. So pretty wild story on that thing. Texas does wind up becoming its own country for a little while to its own republic, if you will. And then eventually comes in the United States as well. Um, the Jim Bowie thing here, this is pretty great. So um, – Apparently, when Santa Ana stepped foot inside of uh, the Alamo, they knew who Crockett was. Crockett was a legend. Jim Bowie was a legend. And apparently, uh, there was the idea that uh, Crockett and Bowie should not be burned alive on the funeral pyre. Everybody else, Kahuna, that was inside of the uh, the Alamo, mm -hmm. all the other defenders, their bodies were stacked and they were burned. Ugh. You don't get a Christian burial. Nope. Okay. Um, now, because of that, uh, like they said, they wanted to give the honor to Crockett and Bowie, but then they thought twice on it and threw their bodies on with the rest of the men. So there is nobody that's actually buried. Okay. Hmm. Um, so it's pretty wild here. So um, anyway, the, the bottom line is this guy, uh, Juan Sequin, I think I'm saying the name correctly here, who winds up becoming uh, – he's a pretty awesome story. He is a Tejano 
which is going to be like a Mexican-born Texan, if you will. He fights for the cause of the Texas Revolution. He's a well-thought-of military leader, uh, definitely a, a politico too afterwards. I believe he winds up serving in several offices, probably most notable. He becomes eventually the mayor of San Antonio. And this is what this guy does. Um, he goes back to the Alamo a year after the battle, goes to the funeral pyre where all the men were burned. He scoops up um, some of the ashes from the men that were killed and he puts it into an urn. And on the urn, he writes uh, Lieutenant Colonel Travis Scott, Colonel Jim Bowie, Davy Crockett. And he interns their ashes at one of the cathedrals in San Antonio. So that's the closest to a proper burial that those three brave ever sons had. of bitches right. are ever going to get wow. for standing up to an overwhelming odds with Santa Ana. Um, and, and by the way, to Santa Ana's credit, women and children were spared from the Alamo. He wasn't going full heel, but he really has some moments with it, man. But uh, again, I just want to say thank you so much to everybody for checking the show out. We love doing it. Well, man, it's good to be back with you. All right, it Cahoons, it's great to see you, my friend. All right, oh, man, you, you have no idea. <laughs> this was this was so much fun. This is a good one. So we're going to keep doing this one. If you guys have suggestions for stuff, I know I love it when people send me ideas for losers. I try to get back to all the messages I can. I do work fifty hours a week, and then also try to be a touring comic on the road. Um, that being said, I do have some dates to plug real quickly. Um, I'll tell you guys what. There's two really big ones, and Cahoon is going to love this because. Uh, I'm actually going to be in Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania. Get the hell out Also of known here. as Mock Chunk, where the Molly Maguires hung out. So that's yeah, a twofold loser reception. Of previous episodes. It is named after, yeah, absolutely. It's named after uh, friggin' um, uh, Jim Thorpe, who was a, a loser, uh, a topic on the show. Loserception. Uh, the Molly Maguires operated at it. Their jail's across the street from the theater I'm coming to. If I can sneak you out for that one, I'm going to do. You got to see this place. Um, so that's going to be on the uh, the 30th, I believe. Uh, the 30th, Friday, September 30th, and then uh, October 1st, I'll be at the Newtown Theater in Pennsylvania. Both those are opening up for the great Robert Kelly. Um, I got dates coming up in October as well. Uh, the 14th and the 15th, I'm headlining Nick's Comedy Stop. It's old KP's first full weekend headlining a club. Oof. Come on out for that one, man. It's a legendary place. Bobcat Goldwaith got started there. Bill Burr just ran his hour there before he played Fenway Park. I'm really excited about that gig. That's going to be a lot of fun. I'll be back down at Side Splitters in Tampa in November. I believe that is Veterans Day weekend. I'll be down there for that one. Check that out. And it looks like a friend of the show, Andy Highroller, is putting together a hell of a show. It looks like it's going to be on uh, the Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving this year. Uh, I think I'm headlining a room down there in Memphis. So please come be a part of that one if you can. If you're in any of those areas, if you got people in those areas, if I sell tickets on the road, uh, then I maybe don't have to do the full-time you know, Deja, maybe I just maybe I, I just go Monday through Thursday. I don't know something. Okay, I'm trying really hard here, guys. All right, but uh, I'll say this one, man. Uh, you guys are kicking ass. Uh, good to see everybody here on this one. Thank you for chiming in on the uh, the feed and everything as well. Uh, thank you to Mike and Ming at a shared universe. Uh, thank you to Kevin Smith for for some reason liking what we do. Um. <laughs> There's only one thing that I think maybe we should elaborate on, and that this was the premiere of this was just doing it live, just for the sake of doing it live. I don't know if this is. Keep going. No, okay, okay. No, man, I'll just shut up now. <laughs> Don't aim that thing at me. But uh, you, you know what I'm trying to talk about. It's just making sure that people know that like Tuesday, lose day is still Tuesday, lose day. 
Well, because uh, we're going to put every episode will be out on Tuesday. We're going to be recording uh, on Wednesdays, I think, right? We got that that blocked yep. off for good now. Every Tuesday we are back. Thank you for reminding me that. That's actually totally yeah, appropriate. Absolutely. So I don't know why I drew Han Solo's Carillion Star Blaster, which is modeled after a uh, we'll German go li- We'll Mauser. go live again eventually, but just uh, just so people know. These are That's fun. how we usually. These are fun. Well, this is the inaugural, so who knows yeah. where we're going next? Exactly. Yeah. That's a fun one there, man. So uh, on behalf of Lawrence Patrick Burke, my dilf of a dad, Thank on you. behalf of uh, the big kahuna himself back there, check out Escape from Jacksonville over on YouTube. Leave a comment. Say American Loser on the comment. That's not my video. That's 800 Pound Gorilla's video. So that's how I can tell when it's you guys that are talking to me on there. It means a lot. You keep sharing the clips out there. Tell people about the show. We're trying to grow this bastard. But uh, my name was KP Burke, and that was Jim Bowie, American Loser. American Loser, the day I was born. American Loser, the day I was born. An American Loser, the day I was born.